Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Creating a Family. Talk about adoption and infertility. Today we're going to be talking about Foster Care 101. Here's a sample of what you're going to hear. Many people say to me this, they can't be a foster parent because it hurts too much to give up the kids. And I tell them this, it's supposed to be that way. Your hearts are supposed to break when the children leave because that means you've given them what they want, what they need. The children need stability, yes, and they need security, yes. But what they need the most is for the foster parents to love them with everything that they have. So when the children do leave, hearts are broken. I'm Dawn Davenport. I'm the director of Creating a Family. We are the National Adoption and Infertility Education and Support Nonprofit. You can find us online at creatingafamily.org. We are a weekly radio show, and we use the podcast model. That way you can listen whenever and wherever you want. You can also subscribe to the podcast using whatever app you're currently listening to us on. If you happen to be listening to us on your computer, then you can download any of the podcast playing apps to your phone, if that would be easy. Uh, And uh, when you get there, just type in the words Creating a Family and click subscribe. The Creating a Family radio show is underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. Fighting cancer does not have to mean a loss of your fertility. If you or a loved one are facing cancer, you may be eligible for no-cost medication through Faring's Heartbeat Program. To learn more, visit heartbeatprogram.com. Or, of course, you can talk to your either reproductive uh, endocrinologist or your oncologist to get information about that as well. This show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, could not happen without the generous support from our gold sponsors, who believe in our mission of providing unbiased education and support to those struggling to create a family. Some of our wonderful gold sponsors include Holt International, founded in 1956. They want every child to have a loving and secure home. They have programs that strengthen and preserve families that are at risk of separation, and they lead the global community in finding families for children who need them and providing pre- and post-adoption support. Hopscotch Adoptions are a Hague-accredited adoption agency placing waiting children from around the world, offering home study and post-adoption services to residents of North Carolina and New York. They place children from Armenia, Bulgaria, Georgia, Ghana, Guyana, Morocco, Pakistan, Serbia, Ukraine, and they also do kinship adoptions. And we have Vista Del Mar. They are a licensed and accredited nonprofit adoption agency with over 65 years of experience helping to create families. They have three adoption programs, a private infant program, an international program, and an adoption through foster care program. Those are some of our great gold sponsors, but we also have other sponsors whose generosity allows us to bring you this show. We ask that when choosing an adoption service provider, please consider choosing one from the Creating a Family Directories, which you can find on the service provider page of our site. And to find the service provider page, you just go to our site, creatingafamily.org, and at the top menu, the horizontal menu across the top, click on Service Provider Directory tab. 
You can search by a lot of things that we think are important when choosing. And by using these directories, you support those who support us. And we thank you. Today we're going to be talking about Foster Care 101. Our guest is Dr. John DeGarmo. He is a leading expert in foster care and foster parenting. He is the author of several foster care books, including the training book, The Foster Parenting Manual, A Practical Guide to Creating a Loving, Safe, and Stable Home, as well as the Foster Care Children's Book, A Different Home, A New Foster Child's Story. He and his wife are the parents of six kids through both birth and adoption. And, uh, John, last time I heard you were fostering three. Is that that still the number? That's still the number. Uh, Currently foster parents to three additional uh, uh, foster children. Welcome, Dr. John DeGarmo, to Creating a Family. Thank you so much for having me on the program. Um, we're going to start. This is a 101 show. We do uh, these on, on, as you would imagine, several uh, topics. Uh, and so uh, we're going to start at the very beginning. So if someone is interested in being a foster parent, how do they go about applying? I mean, what are the practical steps? How do they find out who in their county or uh, do they apply to the county or do they go to a private agency? What are their options? Well, the first thing they need to do, and perhaps the most important thing they need to do, is they need to discuss it with their spouse or their partner and their family because if their spouse or partner and if their family are not on board, if they're not in agreement with it, then the fostering will be a failure. For example, my wife and I have been doing this for 13 years. I depend upon her greatly. She depends upon me greatly. It's a joint effort. It's a 50-50. It's a partnership. And if either one of us were no longer wanting to do it, uh, it could be very, very detrimental on many, many areas for our family. So we have to make sure that all are ready, all are involved, all are committed to it, if you will. And then after you take that step, then you contact your local child welfare agency in your community. It might be the state. It might be a private agency. Uh, you know, each city, each state is different. So, you know, where you are living in particular, they may not have private agencies. It just may be the state. So you go through that, and then you begin the training process, and you go through classes, and you go through the training seminars and the licensing, and then you are ready for your first child. But that could be quite a bit of time after you begin the initial conversation and uh, months later until you're licensed. Well, and and we should point out that the training is usually anywhere between 30 and 35 hours worth of training. Uh, which right. sounds daunting, although it's it's often uh, spread out, or sometimes it's not spread out. Sometimes uh, they'll offer it just in on the weekends, you know, eight hours a day. And the only thing I would uh, add to that is that during the classes, I think it is really important to keep that conversation open with your your partner or your spouse because, you know, that's the purpose of the classes is to educate you. It's one thing to say yes, I want to do this when you don't know anything, but it's a whole other thing to recommit when you have information about really what it what it requires. Right, right. Your your spouse might say, hey, what are we getting into? I wasn't aware we had to do this, so you're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. All right, where is the uh, – how much control – this is the question we get a lot – how much control do you have as a applicant uh, to be a foster parent to say what type of children you think your house and your family uh, and you personally are best able to foster parent? Oh, you have quite a bit of control in that regard. You can specify uh, what gender or what age group you might foster. For example, perhaps you are best fit for small babies. Maybe you are best fit for teenagers, maybe for just boys or just girls or anywhere in between. So absolutely now, does the agency 
mean they're just going to call you a nose? <laughs> Most likely not. They'll probably call you about, you know, any child in particular. Uh, my, when my wife and I first began the process, we specified just children younger than our own birth children. But a couple years into it, that went out the door. We, we've had everything in between. But, yeah, you can specify what age group or what gender you like, absolutely. And, and where do you see, uh, and I know you can only speak, but you actually could probably speak nationally, um, where do you see the greatest needs are for foster parents? What age kids, what type kids, What? Uh, what where is the greatest need? Well, the greatest need may not necessarily be the largest number of children. The greatest need, I believe, is for boys as aged 10 to 18, because everybody wants a baby. Everybody wants a cute girl. But when it gets to, for boys, when they get to be about 10 or 11 years of age, that cuteness factor begins to wear off. And then there's the label that society puts on them that they're boys, therefore they're trouble. So it's harder for boys in that age group to be placed in a home. Again, everybody wants to foster a little tiny newborn baby or a cute little four- or five-year-old girl. Yeah. I think that's pretty universal. Teens in general, uh, but um, uh, uh, teen boys in particular, I think that is exactly right. Um, and I don't want to spend a lot of time but, but on this, but let's talk about the need for respite care families. Uh, yeah, and, but... and, and, and that uh, that's a, a unique type of foster family. What exactly do we mean when we say that, respite care families? Respite care families are gold. They're golden. They're, they are... Uh... <laughs> they're an opportunity for foster parents to just step back and take a moment. A respite family will come in and take uh, children in foster care for a very, very brief amount of time. For example, maybe the foster parents uh, had to go out of town or out of state for a wedding or a funeral. Maybe they need to spend some time with their own birth children. Maybe there's an illness in the family. Whatever it may be, the rest of the family will come in and take the children for a brief amount of time. It allows the foster parents to do what they have to do, or in some cases, maybe just to recharge their batteries. Perhaps the husband and wife just need to have a weekend away by themselves just to reconnect and recharge. My wife and I have not had a proper date, if you will, in Oh, maybe four or five years now. Um, so, you know, a rest of families are, are gold for foster parents. It allows them to to just take a take a step back, if you will. Yeah, and, and as you point out, sometimes there there's something that comes up that you uh, and you have a great need, or you have a child that really is is simply stressful, and you need that. Right. We have right. A, a question from Leanne. She says, "We really want to be permanent parents rather than foster parents." I've heard mixed things about the foster to adopt route. I'd love to hear his. I'd love to hear his thoughts. Okay, so what? Uh, uh, let's talk about families who, and, and I will say there's a number of those. In fact, uh, quite quite a few in in our community, um, who are their primary goal is to be adoptive parents, uh, and we have uh, we hear a lot about fostering to adopt. Let's talk some about that. Well, if you read my book, Fostering Love, or the sequel, Love and Mayhem, then you know that I have adopted three children from the foster care system myself. Uh, along with that, we've had three failed adoptions. Now, the foster due to adopt process is, is a wonderful opportunity for all involved, for, uh, for family. Um, I did not initially set out to adopt three children from foster care. 
Um, but when these children came to me, when they come to my home, they are loved unconditionally. There's no label. There's no foster, uh, biological, or adoptive. They're all my children. So when these children's rights were, their parental rights were terminated, we had the option to adopt them. The process works generally like this. The birth parents have a set amount, a determined amount of time to, in in other words, get their act together, so to speak. They have to, you know, go through the uh, training. They have to go through their, um, their hours. They have to... They have to do all the seminars, whatever they have to do to get their A lot of times, back. let me just throw in there, a lot of times if there are addiction issues, it requires getting in a 12-step program or going right. to rehab right. or, or rehab, homelessness sure. is a problem, finding a home. Sure. I mean, it's things taking parenting right. classes, right. not could associating it, it, with violent boyfriends or something like that. Right, and it could take quite a bit of time. Uh, it, it could take many, many months or perhaps even, sadly, years. Uh, so if the, rights, if the parents' rights are terminated because they're unable to fulfill what they are obligated to do, then there's what's called TPR, parent, uh, Termination of Parental Rights. From there, there is a search for biological family members who would like to adopt the child, perhaps aunts and uncles or grandparents. And it could be in the state they live in or maybe a surrounding state or outside. We ha- I live in Georgia, and we're looking at parents in California right now. So you don't know how long that could be. So after the biological family members say no, then the foster parents get the first option to adopt. And that generally takes from the time the child arrives in the home to the time the child is adopted, it could be anywhere between 18 to 22 months. Now, sometimes those adoptions don't go through. As I mentioned earlier, we have had three adoptions we had three failed adoptions. We thought we were going to adopt the children, but something happened. Um, some birth parents, some birth, biological family members popped up, and um, the adoptions did not go through. So it can be a wonderful opportunity for parents to and the child to become permanent family. But I think those going into foster to adopt have to appreciate and realize that it's not. Uh, it is not permanent. It, it, it may not happen. You know, there, it's not. A, it's not set in stone. If you will, exactly. What we try not to a tell, guarantee. Yeah, what we try to tell people is that you've got to go in with the idea that your role is to help heal the birth family, to help reunite. Right, right. And right. that's the goal. That's the goal, and uh, yeah. of foster care, and that needs to be your goal as a foster parent. However, the reality is that many people, many foster parents, do adopt through foster care. It is often not their the first child that is placed with them. Uh, and it's right. helpful, I think, to go in with that in mind. And, and, and when you say you have three failed adoptions, was it after you were already presented with the opportunity the, the, to adopt and then birth family, uh, extended birth family stepped forward? Uh, two of those are correct, and one child sabotaged the adoption process. Gotcha, yeah. That, that happens, unfortunately, as well, too. All right, we have a uh, a question, and it was a seconded. It was a, a question from one in our audience, and then it was seconded by somebody else. They want to know what your response would be when people say, adopt from foster care because it's free. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I have a very good friend who was on my own radio program, Parent Factors with Dr. John, a few months ago, and he has adopted two children from Russia and about you know, $15,000 uh, per adoption. Um, I have adopted three children from foster care. Was it free? No, it was not free. But on the other hand, it was certainly not $15,000 per child. Uh, financially, it is easier to go through the foster care process because you don't have those type of fees. But there are fees attached to it. And, you know, I don't want to put 
I don't. When you say the word free, uh, that that puts money on it. You know, goodness gracious, no, no. There are. Um, it is more. It is. It is more expensive, if you will. It, uh, but there are certainly financial and emotional um, ties to it. Absolutely. Well, and I think I don't know exactly what these people were getting at. I think it's the idea that you need to have more than just a a, uh, a monetary of uh, a lack of a monetary cost associated with foster care. Foster care is certainly the most cost efficient form of adoption we have. And in fact, the vast right. majority of children who are adopted from foster care also will receive a monthly subsidy to help defray the cost of care and cost of treatment and things like that. But it, it, but you also, as you say, it's not free in the sense that, you know, from a, a time standpoint, these kids often come from abusive or neglective, neglectful homes, uh, and you need to go into it with more than just thinking of it's the cheapest way of to get a child. Right, I and I also think it's important to realize that the, the the state per diem, if you will, state per diem does not necessarily cover all aspects for the child. You know, yeah. when when a child comes into my home, we try to make sure that they have every opportunity, and that might include ballet or piano lessons or basketball or whatever it may be. And, and then when they have a birthday or a holiday, we like to celebrate that in a grand style because it could be the child's the very first time they've done so. So we don't expect to be reimbursed for every single penny that um, for the child that's in our home. And for the children that we've adopted, you know, for almost a two-year process, there's a cost there, Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Um, now we've uh, we've talked about uh, making the decision to become a foster parent. Let's talk about after you have been accredited and licensed, and you are approved, and you have specified uh, the age and uh, of the child that you would like to uh, foster. Let's talk about some tips. You get the call saying uh, from the child's caseworker and saying that they have a child for you. Uh, at that point, you're given some very basic information, um, usually uh, over the phone. Then what happens? Well, you know, it's interesting that you said that over the phone. When I get the phone calls, I ask a lot of questions. I want to know how long the child is going to be in my home for. I want to know why the child doesn't care. I want to know the age of the child. I want to know these things because I have to determine if the fit is good. It may not be a good fit for the child. I might not be able to provide the resources that the child needs. Maybe uh, maybe the child is suffering from some issues that I can't have in my house at the time due to other children in my home. So I have to determine if this is the right fit. Once we make the determination, and for my wife and I, what we do is we discuss and we pray about it. And then once we make the determination, oh, goodness. Uh, you know, I, I've had over 50 kids come through my home over 13 years, and every time a new child arrives, it is different. It's never going to be the same. But we try to prepare for the child. We want to make sure that the... Um, the house is as warm and inviting as possible. Um, you know, so many people say to me, hey, the child is not calling me mom and dad. And I tell them, no, you can't insist upon that. You cannot insist upon that. So we greet them and say, hello, my name is Mr. John and my wife is Miss Kelly or whatever it may be. Um, and, you know, we give them a tour of the home and we try to make sure. The, 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 probably the biggest struggle that people don't appreciate is this. The children do not want to be in our home because we're strangers. 
I want you to imagine a seven-year-old girl who is taken away from her mother and her father, taken away from her stuffed animals and toys, from her bedroom, her house, from her aunts and uncles and relatives, from her friends, her school, everything she knows many times without any explanation, late at night and thrust into a strange home with strange people. And what is she going to do that night? She's going to cry herself to sleep. And she has these questions. When do I go home? When do I see mommy next? How long am I here? She might even even believe that it's her fault or that her mommy and daddy are mad with her. So it can be very, very difficult those first few nights. Yeah, I'm so glad you uh, you raised that. It's the point you make is such a good one. No child, not only do they not want to be in your home, they have arrived in your home after probably the worst experience of their life. Right. Uh, and there's tremendous trauma and tremendous anxiety when yeah. they're being placed into my home. That's what my children's book's about. Because I didn't, I didn't have those questions, those answers to those questions at first. Why am I here? Uh, how long will I be here? When do I see mommy next? And I didn't know how to answer those questions. Sure, they're frightened. They're absolutely frightened. So foster parents must, must um, they must have a great deal of patience and compassion and love and understanding because it's going to take time for the child to adjust to this new home. Does it help? One of the is one of the tips, perhaps, for welcoming a new child into your home to get as much information as you can from the caseworkers to be able to share with the child. Uh, oftentimes, unfortunately, we don't know a lot, but I mean, there there sometimes the caseworkers do have a feel. So, is that one of your tips to get as much information as you can and share it? Right. I have in my book, The Foster Parenting Manual, I have a chapter uh, about welcoming the child, and I have a list of questions that I always ask. And you're right, the more information I have about that child, the better prepared I'm going to be. How old is this child? Do I need to buy child clothes, diapers? What do I need to get for this child? Do I need to get a bed? Do I need to get a crib? What do I need to get? What do I need to have ready for this child? What am I going to expect for this child when he walks into my home? Is he angry? Is he sad? Has he been abused physically, sexually, emotionally? Have there been drugs involved? I need to know all those things because I need to know how that's going to affect my own family. So absolutely right. The more information foster parents have, the better prepared everybody is going to be. And, and how often do you get information that you can share? Now, if you've got a toddler, it's not not as important. But if you've got an 8- or a 9-year-old that's coming into your home who has questions, how long is this going to take? When am I going to go home? What, you know, where are my parents? Where is my brother? Where is my sister? That type of information. Um, do you try to get information, basic information like that, to share with the child? No, not necessarily. I just want to know from my own self. I want to know because I need to prepare myself for, is this long-term or short-term? Do I need to enroll this child in school? Do I need to get a bigger car? <laughs> you know, things like that. Uh, okay. No, I will. I listen to the child. I hold the child. I try to answer questions as honestly as I can, but I do so in a general fashion. You know, I'm not going to tell the child, you know, you were in foster care for a long time because mommy is uh, in jail. But I'll say things like, well, you know, mommy's, Mommy's just not feeling well right now, and you're going to stay with us for a while. Would you please actually say it like this? I say, would you please stay with us for a while until Mommy gets better? I'm so glad you're here with us. I know it's scary, but I'm glad you're here with us, and I want to help you. Will you please stay with us until Mommy gets better? We'll go see Mommy maybe soon. I say I say things like that. Okay, excellent. So, any other tips for welcoming the child into your home? You um, have to be. About- you- You've got to be prepared for the child to be reactive. The child may be full of anger. The child may not react at all. Maybe the child is withdrawing. 
maybe the child is lashing out. You need to be prepared for that. You know, there's a funny story. My second placement, I write about it in my book, Fostering Love. My second placement, the, uh, the girl came to us for just for the weekend, I was told. It ended up to be almost two years. But the first thing she said out when she got out of the car when I met her was, Daddy, I love you. And she gave me a big hug. I was not prepared for that. So you never know what you're going to get. You have to expect the unexpected um, and just be very, very flexible and, and roll with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because the, unfortunately, sometimes as a foster parent, you're also not kept in the loop as far as any of the information. So mm, rolling with right. it and being flexible is some of the best advice you can get. You know, I don't, right. I don't know how, I don't know how a foster parent can be a perfectionist because there's just no way. They, they, you've got to be flexible. You're right because you don't have the information. I've had three children with me since uh, for nine months now, and I really have no clue how long they're going to be with me for, and the, neither do the caseworker. There's just a lack of communication sometimes or a lack of information. So you're right. You've got to just roll with it. Yeah, roll with it should be. I guess that's the mantra, right? You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So um, well, let me take a quick break. You are listening to Creating a Family. Today we're talking about Foster Care 101. Creating a Family has the largest adoption and infertility communities on the social networks, and they would be even better if you joined us. Uh, in fact, Clout has recently ranked us as the number one, no, not number, number one, number two, online influencer worldwide in the areas of adoption as well as infertility. There are three ways to connect with us on Facebook. You can, of course, like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash creatingafamily. However, we also have a very large and very active Facebook support group. It's a closed group. You have to request to join, and you can get to that at facebook.com slash groups slash creatingafamily. You can also connect with me personally, dawn.davenport1. We hang out at Pinterest and Twitter as well, and we go by at creatingafamily over there. All right, now we're talking about, uh, we've talked about the child is now in our home. As I had mentioned before, one of the things that we tell families is to, uh, that their role as a foster parent is to work with the system to heal the, the family. And that often entails working with birth families. So let's talk a little bit about that and, and what families, what, it, what do we mean when we say that the foster fam, the foster parents um, need to be able to work with birth parents? What exactly do we mean by that? Well, we have to appreciate this, that for some birth families, actually for many birth families, the foster parents may be the very first positive example they have ever had of what a parent is like. You know, of the two of the three children I've adopted from foster care, two of the three are third-generation foster care, which means their parents were in foster care and their grandparents were in foster care. Wow. It's all that family's ever known. It's just a generational cycle. So I need to be the example of what a good parent is like. I need to do that in my actions and in my deeds and my words and all that I say and do towards these birth parents. When a child is in my home, I never speak poorly about the birth parents to the child because it's their mommy and their daddy. It's their mommy and their daddy, and they don't, they don't want to hear that. They don't need to hear that. When I meet with the birth parents, I try to answer the questions as openly, as honestly as I can. These people are hurting. They're hurting from something has hurt them in their life, and they're suffering from something. And I also have to remember this, that I'm just as much of a sinner as they are in that regard. You know, I've done, I've done things, too. I'm in no way perfect. Um, they just have done different things I, than, than I have done. So I am here to be their role model and to help them. 
because chances are the child is going to go back to their home. So if I truly love my foster child, and of course I do, I want them to go home to the best environment they can. And if that means helping their birth parents become better parents, absolutely I'm there to do it. Is it always easy? Oh, no. Oh, no. I've had some really uncomfortable and difficult situations with the birth parents of my foster children. I've had false accusations. I've had this and that. I recounted in my book, Fostering Love. Um, It's not always been pleasant, but I'm there to be the example, and I'm there to help them. When I help the parents heal, I help the children heal, and vice versa. All right, so some of the tips, those are some great ones. Be a plan on being a, a role model. That is your, that's what you're trying to do. Don't speak poorly about the uh, birth parents uh, in front of the child. Recognize that the birth parents are hurting. Uh, seldom are these people who are intentionally setting out to hurt their child, neglect their child, or be in a situation to have their child removed, um, even though their actions may well have resulted in that. Um, Recognize that your child may likely go home uh, to this parent. So your, uh, if you love your child, you will do your best to uh, love your foster child. You'll do your best to help. Anything else? Any other suggestions? Oh, um, yeah, there are lots. There are lots. And I go in my book, Foster, the Foster Parenting Manual. I have a whole chapter devoted to this as well. You know, when you have visitations, when the, when the child visits with their parents, you need to make sure you're there on time. The children look nice and clean and the hair combed and clothes are, are looking tidy. There's lots of things you can do. The children can, you can send pictures of the children to the birth parents or maybe send their report cards, you know, uh, encourage phone conversations, um, perhaps invite the birth parents over to an event at a school the child's participating at. There are so many things you can do to reach out and help the birth parents. How much do you have to coordinate this with the child's caseworker? I would assume there are times when um, the caseworker uh, the child's uh, the, the the parents' plan and the child's plan would not be uh, would not be wanting there to be inviting a child uh, inviting the parents to a soccer right, game. Right, right, right. Each each circumstance is different. Absolutely, each situation is different. There may be instances where you're right. You do not want the birth parents there because it could be traumatic. It could be dangerous for that matter. So sure, each you have to look at the situation and and the scenario and, and take it from there. Um, uh, perhaps the, uh, and you may, uh, foster parents may have to take the initiative as well. They may have to, if they believe it's for the best for all involved and then the child's going to be safe, the parent, birth, the foster parents might take the initiative of reaching out to the birth parents. And then there are those times when the foster parents have to um, say, you know what, we can't have this because it's placing the child in danger. I'm like the mama bear. When the child comes to live with me, I'm going to protect that child with all that I have. And and there have been those instances where I have said, you know, absolutely not. This child cannot go to this type of environment where the birth parents are going to be there, a party, whatever it may be, because the child's going to be placed in danger. I've got to look at the facts and make the determination. Is it up to you to make the determination? Or if no, the it, really the... it, it really yeah, isn't. It really isn't. And that's but, the hardest part, but I, I think. Fight, but, yeah, but I'm the, person, I'm the foster parent on the phone saying, you know what, this is not in the best interest of the child. What can we do differently here? Uh, and does it always work? No, it doesn't always work. And then I just pray for the child and pick up the pieces when the child comes back home. And there have been many nights when I've had to pick up the emotional pieces of the child when the child comes back home. That's part of being a foster parent. It's part of the challenge, yeah. if you will. Yeah, and that actually leads us well into the next topic I want to talk about, and that is 
how to work within the system and, and with the system. But let me quickly take a break and remind you that you are listening to Creating a Family, talk about adoption and infertility. We primarily keep in touch with our audience through our weekly e-newsletters. We have two of them, one for adoption and one for infertility. We let you know about the latest developments in these topics as well as the upcoming week's blog and show topics as well as new resources we've added to the uh, website that week. We usually add anywhere between four to five pieces of content every week. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter on any page of our site, creatingafamily.org, upper right-hand side of the site. All right, now, working within the system. As sad as it is to say this is a source of great frustration for many foster parents and foster-to-adopt parents, um, and, and and we don't have any easy answers, I don't think. But um, But let's talk about that, either tips or things one of the things that I think it helps is to note that caseworkers are often very busy, and many of them have very full loads. This is not the only child on their on their workload. Um, personally, what has your, have you had? If you've had fifty kids, you've probably run the gamut of really uh, good working relationships with caseworkers, and uh, and and some not so good. Although perhaps where you live, you are usually dealing with the same ones, and that may help. I don't know. Well, you're right. You're you're right uh, on both accounts. I've had some great ones. I've had some ones that have been uh, a little challenging, if you will. I have developed uh, wonderful relationships with some of them, um, and I try to, if 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 often, I try to. We try to have the same caseworker. We we request if we can. But sure. But we also have done. I I train. I travel across the country training foster parents, and I tell them this: today's caseworker is overworked, overwhelmed under-resourced and underpaid and on top of that they're human with the same emotions that we have the system is not perfect because the system is run by human beings sometimes caseworkers hands are tied by paperwork and they feel the same frustrations that foster parents do they grieve when the child is returned to an environment that we all know is not the best interest of the child so they have that so foster parents need to remember that you know what it's not the caseworkers fault sometimes sometimes it's they're feeling the same feelings we are. But in order for me to have a positive working relationship with my caseworker, I try to be open and honest with them as I can. I try to share as much information with them as I can. Um, I try to treat them with, with as much kindness and respect and integrity and decency as I can. Um, I have to remember that they're human beings just like me. So, you know, if I am frustrated with something, I will let them know in a kind manner. And um, but you're right. There has been times where it has been challenging and frustrating, for sure. Uh, what do you suggest? Something that we hear so often is having a hard time getting getting making contact, uh, mm-hmm. getting a hold of of your child's of your foster child's caseworker. Right. Um, and what and that's a, it's a source of constant uh, frustration. Right. Uh, any suggestions there? We actually have some resources on that, uh, tips for how to uh, not immediately escalate and, and uh, how to actually um, protect yourself as well as up the odds of getting response back. Any thoughts on that? Well, when the caseworker comes to me, my wife and I sit down at the table and we share emails, phone numbers, all the content information that we can, and um, and we ask the same of them. And, you know, we don't pester them. I think our caseworkers know, from my wife and I, that if we're going to call them or if we're going to email them, it's a pretty big concern that we have because we understand how busy that they are. So they're going to hopefully get back to us as quick as we can. 
Now, there have been some times that it does not happen. But, you know, we share our contact information, and um, I try to give my caseworker regular updates on what's happening with the child. I share success stories. You know, the child had to grade in school today, or the child had a, a poor visitation today, or the child's feeling ill today. I just want to continue to update my caseworker and let the caseworker know what's going on in the home, and hopefully that will encourage the caseworker to reciprocate. And do you do this in a way that you keep a record of it? I do, yeah, sure, sure. I, I'm all about documentation, documentation, documentation. And I do so in a non-emotional um, manner, just the facts, not without bias, without emotions. I just write down the facts. And I do keep a record. I encourage all foster parents to keep some type of journal or some type of documentation because there may be those times where they've had false accusations made against them and they have to pull out that journal and say, well, this is what really happened. Oh, that's a great idea. What you're saying is that not just uh, keeping a record of your contact with the child's caseworker, but keeping a daily journal of, uh, in my understanding, you correctly, to keep a daily journal of, you know, Johnny had a great day today. Johnny, or, you know, the teacher reported that Johnny, you know, had an altercation on the playground. Johnny came home and is, you know, very angry or whatever, things like that. Right, right. Uh, I have a I have a little one right now who fell down the stairs two days ago and has a nice nod in her head, and I wrote that down because when she goes went to school the next day, there were going to be questions, and I knew that. And I also let the caseworker know that, all right, she's got a nod in her head because she fell down the stairs, and I've been telling you that she's very, very clumsy. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure, visitations did not go well today. Her visitations went well. She had a fever. Yeah, all sorts of things. She She got really upset today. She withdrew. She was yelling and screaming. She had a. She was playing wonderfully. Absolutely, I try to keep that um, documentation going. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. And you do that for. You keep a separate journal for each of the foster children in your care. You know, if in, in a perfect world I would, but when I have <laughs> nine to eleven children in my home, I don't always do that. I just. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much, gotcha. what I do is I type it up at night. Um, but sure, well, if I had less thought. children and more time, I would. I would be yeah, in an ideal world. Yeah, yeah, well, we don't, as we've already talked about, that, you know, perfectionism and foster parenting does not go hand in hand. No, um, that's right, that's right. You know, another thought is that there's a lot of software now that can transcribe uh, uh, dictation, and you yep. can dictate into your phone or, or into your computer um, sure. just in the evening, and it will, It's you know, there are some typos and things that happen, but again, give up perfectionism, um, and it will get the gist of what uh, of what is down, and it will happen in a way that's relatively quick, and it can become of your part of your evening routine. Right. All right. Let's talk some – oh, actually, um, let me read a question. Actually, I don't know if you know this, but you have a lot of fans amongst in the Creating a Family community. Uh, one, of her, one of the women says that she's like your biggest fan, and she, she wants you to know that. She says she's got a couple of questions. One, she wants to ask, could you ask him how his adopted children handle new foster kids coming into the home and then being reunited with their birth families? Does it make the adopted kids feel less permanent in your home? Do they question why some children get reunified and others don't? So thought oh, yeah, we've I thought had, it was a great question. We have had that. Now, my own, I, got, I had the same question last night. Uh, how do my children feel about having uh, so many kids come through the door. And my answer is this. For my family, we've been doing it for 13 years. My oldest is 18 years of age. It's their norm. It's all they've known. It's all my children have known. For my children whom I've adopted, one came to us when she was five days old, one at 27 hours old, one at a year and a half, 
It's all they've known. Uh, but sure, we've had some we've had some um, some children from foster care come in their home and and question the adoption process. I had one ten year old tell me that um, he yelled at me. He didn't want to be adopted by our family ever, and made other accusations against my adopted children. Sure, I understand that. I understand that. I expect that. They're angry. They're they're going through a lot of different anxieties. But for my own children, we sit down with our children and tell them, hey, this is a situation where we may have a child come into our home and here's what they're suffering from. How do you feel about that? And the day that my children say, we can't do this anymore, Mom, we can't do this anymore, Dad, then we'll step away from it. Because my wife and I depend upon our children, not not necessarily to help with the physical things, but just to be supportive of these children and to, you know, to, to love them and, and to play with them, if you will. Um, that can be a tricky balance sometimes, sure. Yeah, well, and and the, in particular, the, do your, has it been a problem for either the foster children or the adopted kids in your home to understand why some kids are able to reunify and yet they have not met? Uh, yes, that can be a problem. I find it a problem really for the older ones, you know, the, the children be, zero to five years of age, they really don't appreciate what's going on in their life just yet. They want their mommy, their Mr. Mommy, but they don't understand the uh, that it could be a permanent thing or the foster care system in general. The older ones do understand that. Uh, and sure, sometimes they may go to, they may see, they may see some, um, they may see the adoptive ones visiting their bio parents and coming back to our home while the foster kids go to a visitation. The visitation could be negative, it could be harmful, it could be very, very sad, and they come back to our home and then there's resentment. Sure, absolutely. And that's where the understanding and the compassion and the unconditional, unconditional love comes in because those kids may come back and say some choice words to my wife and I and we're just going to continue to love them. Because, yeah, all right, because that's, and you just accept where they're coming from and, and why they're coming from. We can't take um, it personally. This one, maybe we should add that as to our tips at the beginning. Don't take things personally. Uh, right, the kids are lashing out, yeah. All right. Um, this same person also, uh, Gabrielle, or Gabrielle uh, also asked if you have contact with children who have, she said aged out, but what I think, and I may be misunderstanding her, but I think what she means is children who have reunified. And that's a question we actually get from other foster parents or or pre-foster parents, people thinking about it. Um, How often is it that you are able to stay in touch with children who have lived in your home and for sometimes, and you've mentioned, you know, one child was at their home for two years, and before she was went back to to birth family, do you uh, ever have the ability to stay in touch with these children who were uh, previously in your home? The answer is yes, but sadly not enough. There are some that I stay in touch with. I would love to stay in touch with every one of them. I'm not able to do so. Uh, we I have to remember this: that as a foster parent, in the eyes of the birth parents, I may be the bad guy. The birth parents. I represent a part of the birth parent's life that they may not want to remember, recognize, appreciate, um, acknowledge. So when the child goes back to live with them, the birth parents may wish to just shut that part of their life off altogether and try to move forward. And I understand that, and that's okay. Um, Sometimes the children may go back to their home and then go back to the foster care system again, and we may lose touch with them. Uh, But I try to stay in touch with as many as I can. 
just this past Christmas, December 22nd, my wife and I had 23 children come through our doors that particular day. Many of them were former foster children who were just coming for a big, big, we had a big Christmas meal, um, and we reached out to as many kids as we could. They were not all former foster children. Some were homeless children in the area as well. But I try to stay in touch with as many of them I can, emails, phone calls, um, visits, whatever it may be. What about kids? Uh, you may not. This may not have happened to you. Kids that were former foster children of yours who have aged out of the system. Sure, I have one uh, very, very much so. Who's she is now 25 years of age. She is a. Uh, she works for the child welfare system in the state. She calls us mom and dad. Um, she comes. To, she doesn't live by us, about an hour or so away. But she visits as often as she can. Um, I consider my daughter. I consider all the kids my ch- my children. So I reach out to them. Doesn't matter their age. 25 years of age, we still stay very much in touch with her. She's still very much part of our life. Absolutely. All right. Excellent. All right. This is now let's move to uh, you have mentioned very briefly respite care. I did want to touch upon that again. Uh, and, and also we have a question that leads into that. And um, is it possible to travel with your foster kids? And this, the question did not specify what type of travel. So let's let's talk about that within the state, outside of the state, and outside of the country. Is that a possibility uh, when you have foster children? You know, it's so interesting you mentioned that. My wife is from Australia, which means my in-laws are all in Australia, which means we have to go to Australia to see the other side of the family. Um, each situation is different. We, I live in Georgia. I am six hours from Disney World. We have taken some of our children from foster care to Disney World to what we call Disney therapy. It's a form of play therapy where the children go and they just completely immerse themselves in the magic of the place and forget about all their anxieties and the label of being a foster child. We've had to get permission to do so. We've had to get permission not only from the state but from the birth parents. Some birth parents have said to us, no, you cannot take our child over state lines. I understand that. Can you take them outside the country? We had permission to take one of our foster children to Australia with us. Unfortunately, she, uh, we could not get all of her information for a valid passport, so we were, that stopped us from doing that. So it really depends upon the individual child and the situation the child's involved in. So when we want to take a child over state lines or on vacation within the state, we always contact the caseworker and, and ask for permission, uh, give the information, and then the, sometimes the, birth, the, the caseworker may have to ask the permission of the birth parent. The birth parent may say yes. The birth parent may say no. When we do go on the holiday with the child, we give the caseworker our phone numbers, the dates we're going to be at, the dates will be gone, the location we'll be at, et cetera, et cetera. So they can contact us just in case there's an emergency. And if you get denied, and they the, either the caseworker doesn't want the child leaving the state, or or the birth parents. Um, is that when you turn to respite providers? Correct. That's when I call the caseworker up and say, listen, I have had this vacation booked for two years, and this child's been in my house for two weeks now, and I'm going on this vacation uh, because it's my first vacation in two years. Can you please find a respite family for me? Absolutely. Or, listen, I have to fly from Georgia to Michigan for a funeral, and I cannot bring the child with me. Can you please get a respite provider? Yes. Okay, so that's something to keep in mind. As a foster parent, uh, respite care uh, is a, an option. And uh, It's a and, valuable resource. I cannot, I cannot 
emphasize strongly enough the importance of respite providers because sometimes, sometimes the foster parent just needs to take a break because a child could be so overwhelmingly exhausting on many levels. The foster parent just needs to say, you know what, I just need to have a weekend alone with my own wife or my own children. And, and yeah, respite care is wonderful. And not everybody can be a, and not everybody can be a full time foster parent. Not everybody can be a, a a foster parent, you know, seven days a week. I understand that. Respite care is a wonderful way to help the children and the foster parents at the same time. All right. How much lead time do you usually get that a child is going to be leaving your home? Oh, ideally two weeks. Sometimes as little as twenty hours. Again, each situation is different. Sometimes we just don't know. Sadly, if you read my book, Love and Mayhem, uh, you read that um, I live in a small county with a circuit judge that comes around our area about once a month. And I got a phone call one afternoon that said, Dr. John, the children had court today. It was sudden. The uncle was in town from Maryland. Uh, he came unexpectedly. The circuit judge was in town, and the children have left to go live with their uncle. I got that much notice. Sometimes I've said, okay, the children are leaving in about a month's time. Each situation is different. Every situation can be heartbreaking. You know, many people say to me this, they can't be a foster parent because it hurts too much to give up the kids. And I tell them this, it's supposed to be that way. Your hearts are supposed to break when the children leave because that means you've given them what they want, what they need. The children need stability, yes, and they need security, yes. But what they need the most is for the foster parents to love them with everything that they have. So when the children do leave, hearts are broken. Mm-hmm. It's like losing yeah. your own child. Yeah, yes, and it is, and it is hard. Um, in an ideal world, which we've already identified as not the, the world of foster care, <laughs> but in nice. an ideal world, it, I think it is so helpful when there is a transition period where everybody on board realizes that we are transitioning the child from the foster home to the biological family home be it the, bio, the the birth parents or an extended family member, and everybody's on board for a slow and gradual. Uh, how often in your in the real world does or does do these slow and gradual transitions actually happen? Well, you know, it can happen. It can happen quite often. For you know, it really depends upon. I have found it depends upon the agency and the state. Some agencies are really really good at giving their foster parents time for the transition to occur and the child to occur. Some agencies focus on other strengths, um, if you will. Um, (laughs) But you're right, in an ideal world, they have that time of transition. And that transition is so important. It is so very important because it helps all involved heal in a very, very difficult time. I want to be able to help my child pack. I want to be able to meet the people the child's going to. Hopefully the child may be able to have some visits with the people they're going to two or maybe even overnight, if you will. I want to be able to have a proper goodbye, maybe even a goodbye party, going away party, if you will, which I discuss in my book, The Foster Parenting Manual. I have a whole chapter on saying goodbye. It can be a very, very hard time. Um, so, yeah, Leslie, you've just done a, My next question was going to be, can you, uh, can you outline the ideal transition? You've done a great job of doing that, even without my question. Shock for me, oh, though. Good, good, great. Uh, Help pack, uh, meet the bio parents if you haven't already. I think oftentimes you probably have met, although sometimes not. Or even the new foster parents or adoptive family or the grandparents, whatever it may be. 
Yeah. Okay, yeah, our extended family member, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, in ideal, we're, we're, we're talking ideal here, uh, visits that extend in time and then even to going to an overnight, um, a, uh, a goodbye ceremony of sorts, goodbye party, a goodbye something. Anything else that you would add to your um, ideal uh, transition list? Well, when we the child leaves our home, we always give them a we give them a life book, which is like a scrapbook, if you will. Um, and you can go on my website and find all information about life books, or you can just Google it. I won't go into it now, but a life book is great. We also give the child a framed picture of our entire family, including the child, and in the back of the picture has our phone numbers, our address, our our name, so the child can can reach out to us when the child is ready or if the child needs to. Okay, and that would be on the back. Excellent, of the, of the picture. Um, all right, so that's – now, how do you prepare your family and you're the children in your family uh, for a goodbye? Now, well, you did mention that for your family this is the norm, so there may be less preparation needed uh, because they're expecting this. So actually maybe the better question would be if uh, for families who are relatively new to fostering, so the goodbye process is not a part of of their life experience, um, how would you prepare yourself and your children for the uh, saying goodbye to a foster child that's been there for a while? Well, you know, it's interesting you ask that. I often tell I do a I do a, a seminar, a very popular seminar called Grief and Loss for Foster Parents, and I mention in that seminar that my first placement, I was not prepared for the feelings of grief and loss that I was going to that I that I felt when the child left. The child was with us for actually there were two children with were with us for four months. Sure, I had the training. Absolutely right, I had the training. But mm-hmm. when it came time to say goodbye to the child, I was not prepared for how my how much my heart hurt and it hurt for days it felt like i was kicking the stomach my heart was just ripped open i wasn't prepared for that i think foster parents need to be prepared for that and they need to recognize this is normal they also need to recognize their stages of grief they're going to go through so the 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 more information they have on that i think helps the transition i think a proper goodbye is when you're packing for the child and you're saying goodbye to the child that helps in that healing process Again, the more time you have to say goodbye, the easier it's going to be on your family, and easier. It's not going to be easy, but it might be a little bit easier, if you will. Um, can you suggest some books that you have, in addition to the to your book, which I think I believe your book is written really to help the foster child. And that's the, let me give the, the title again, A Different Home, A New Foster Child Story. I believe that's written more to the foster child, uh, for the foster child. But do you have suggested books for the children who are remaining in the family to help them understand um, what's happening when they're, uh, the, whom they have considered a brother or a sister is uh, reuni- reunifying or being adopted by another family? You know, there are... Unfortunately, there are not many books out there uh, for foster children in that regard. There are some. You could just go on Amazon. I always go to Amazon.com and Google them. I don't have any titles offhand, so I don't want to I don't want to um, hurt an author by giving the wrong title. So I'm afraid I really couldn't do that. Okay. That's fine. I will. We have an extensive list on our Oh, great. Our well, there you site. go. That's, that's, that's uh, I am not certain whether, and I'll have to check whether or not we have specific to foster parents, uh, or foster, you know, to explain the, um, um, the the whole fostering process, I'll have to. I should know that. I actually, I don't know that. 
All right. So from the standpoint of saying goodbye, the the, the ceremony or any of the things that you can do to uh, uh, memorialize the event and honor the event, it sounds like, is important as well. Do you include the child's new family in uh, in this ceremony or in this, you know, goodbye party or in the process of saying goodbye? Again, that's based on the situation. At times we have, at times we have not. There have been times where we've selfishly thought, you know what, this child's been with us for a long time. We're going to share this this special moment with just them. That's very selfish. I understand that. Um, but there have been some times where we have invited birth parents over, and then sometimes where um, the birth parents don't want to come over. They just don't mm-hmm. want to come over. They want to. They they just don't feel comfortable in that environment. You really need to base it upon the situation. I think. All right. Here we have a question from our audience. They wanted to know about the residential center for teens teens you are raising money for. Could you tell us about that? Thanks for asking. So I mentioned earlier that the hardest children to place are boys ages 10 to 18. This is an an age group where um, it's hard to find placement. And sometimes, sometimes children just can't be in a traditional foster care home, if you will. Sometimes... Sometimes the children have faced so many anxieties and so many traumas that they just really can't fit in the traditional home. And sometimes the answer for them is a residential group home. We are in the process of opening up a residential group home for boys ages 10 to 18. For those boys, the society has said they're unadoptable, or for those boys who just can't fit in traditional home. This home will have a 100% graduation rate for the high school. This home will have various forms of therapy for them. This home will get them in a career path, whether it's college, military, technical school. This home will teach them all the living skills and social skills they need. And most importantly, this will be a home they can always come back to because it's always going to be their family. It's called Never Too Late. Never Too Late for a Happy Childhood. Never Too Late for Hope. Never Too Late for Family. And this home is located in Georgia? Correct. Yes, it is. And you can just if you just google never too late foster care, you'll come across the home. Okay. And I will include a link to that in the blog tomorrow. Never too late foster home. And uh will you and your wife be the uh therapeutic foster parents or are you just fundraising uh for the home itself? I I I'm the executive director of the home. Uh we are not living in the home because I have five daughters and if I had five daughters in a home with sixteen boys, you can imagine that my daddy's senses would be on alert all the time. <laughs> so uh no, but uh, we'll have a there'll be a a family house family living there. I'm the executive director. Thank you for asking. Yeah, excellent. Well, I, I thank our audience. Uh, and, and I and I want to state this. I want to state this that I am all about foster uh, children in a traditional foster parent home. I think that's the best environment for them in a very difficult situation. Yet sometimes that just can't happen. You know, I I. I, I believe that I have been affiliated with uh, a group home, and having come from very much the belief of every child deserves a home. Um, but I have seen uh, in my work with a group home how having therapeutic foster parents with a lot more training can sometimes be very helpful. And there are right. some kids who really just seem to do better just from a whole host of reasons in right. a group home and so it's i think it's a wonderful option um not necessarily to encourage that if wholesale for everyone because i think it's not by far the best but uh yeah right. uh, i'm 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 totally in a, in agreement with you there um 
Thank you so much. We have come to the end of our time. Let me, I want to make certain that I thank a few more of our uh, wonderful gold sponsors whose um, generosity allows us to bring you this show. We have Children's Connection, Inc. They are an adoption agency with offices throughout Texas providing domestic infant adoption, embryo donation adoption, home studies, and post-adoption support to families throughout the United States. We have the law offices of James Fletcher Thompson, a South Carolina firm committed to adoption and assisted reproductive law. We have Nightlight Christian Adoptions. They have been providing adoption services for more than 50 years with offices in California, Colorado, South Carolina, and Kentucky. Nightlight provides international, domestic, foster, and embryo donation and adoption services through through their Snowflakes Embryo Adoption Program. If you have enjoyed this show, please do us a favor and pop over to iTunes and give us a rating. We are rated number one, and we'd like to keep that up. It's a great way for others to find out about our resources. Uh, It's easy to do. You can just go to iTunes, type in Creating a Family, or you can go to the radio page of our site and click on iTunes, and it will take you there as well. Thank you so much, Dr. John DeGarmo, for being our guest today on Creating a Family. My pleasure. If you want to participate in a discussion on the topics of this show, check out my blog tomorrow at creatingafamily.org slash blog. Let's keep the ideas coming and the discussion going. I know you will all want to get more information about Dr. John DeGarmo and his wonderful resources for foster parents. He has a great website, chock full of lots and lots of resources, uh, as well as listings uh, to his books and John, I realized that I pulled information, uh, your bio information, off of your website, and they did not men- mention, or at least the section I was looking on in the about about you section, they did not mention fostering love or love and mayhem. So I want to correct that now and make sure I mentioned it here. Two other books that uh, by uh, Dr. John DeGarmo about fostering his fostering experiences. The website is Dr. John DeGarmo Foster Care dot Weebly. Dot com, Dr. John DeGarmo, fostercare.weebly.com, or quite frankly, the easiest way would probably be just to type his name, and that uh, will pop up. That website will probably be the first thing that pops up. I thank you all for listening, and I will see you next week. Hey, John, I... Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And now, an ad from Dad. All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.